Well, I'd like to ask you to turn with me in the book of Genesis to chapter 18. Genesis 18, we're going to continue looking at the life of Abraham. I heard a, uh, a new service that the, the 800 number people have put together. It's called uh, the 800 number for dial a prayer for atheists. And uh, it's kind of funny when you call up, nobody answers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think there is such a number. But it, it sort of reminded me of the the fact that I've heard some years ago that uh, the majority of proclaimed atheists say that if they were in a life-threatening situation, they would pray. Kathy's really been watching a lot of Ravi Zacharias uh, videos on YouTube and, and whatnot uh, since Ravi passed not long ago. And of course, Ravi is such a powerful, um, was such a powerful advocate, and through his writing and through his videos, he continues to be such a powerful advocate for truth, especially in light of our culture. You know, Jim was praying. So much of the culture and the unrest that we have in the United States is due to the fact that God and God's Word are more and more being set aside in, uh, for the wisdom of men. And Ravi was such a powerful force in showing that uh, we need the Lord and that our, as I was saying up front, that our dependence on Him is complete and total. Well, in Genesis 18, we're going to look at a reminder of that fact. We, um, we actually started Genesis 18 last time, and we saw that God came, the Lord came in human form. The angel of the Lord has already appeared beforehand in, uh, in Genesis. But now he appears to Abraham, and with Abraham he brought a couple of angels and told Abraham and Sarah that they would miraculously have a son. And in the meantime, uh, the conversation continues. This wasn't the only message that uh, the Lord had for Abraham in coming. Not only that, uh, Abraham, I'm going to give you a new name. Uh, also, by the way, Sarah is going to have a son. And then God lets Abraham in on more information. Look at uh, Genesis 18, verse 16. It says, Then the men rose up from there, meaning those two angels with the Lord. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Kind of a poetic way of the Lord saying, I know that Sodom and Gomorrah are, uh, are sinful, 
And so uh, when he says that I'm going to go down there and uh, see it, it's like it's, it's so bad, I've got to see this for myself, as if God couldn't already see it. Sort of a poetic way of saying uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are wicked. And notice in verse 17 this wonderful question that the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? God revealed his plans to Abraham. He revealed his will to Abraham and because of who God made Abraham to be. He said, you know, I've chosen him, etc., etc. It was the relationship that God had with Abraham that caused the Lord to communicate to Abraham what God was about to do. And it's interesting in our lives, this is true as well, because the part of the future that God wants us to know, he has revealed in his word. Remember here in Genesis, this is Genesis. Genesis hadn't been written yet. It was just being lived out. It wasn't for several centuries later when Moses would begin uh, writing the, the Bible, the first five books that Genesis is written. And so Abraham didn't have a Genesis to read. He didn't have anything other than just the Lord himself. And God reveals Sodom and Gomorrah, is, uh, it, its time is short. And it's not the first time we've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. You may remember that we already had uh, these twin cities in the narrative as far back as our time with Lot. And uh, the last time we heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, in fact, was in chapter 14, where Abraham rescued his nephew Lot. Remember that? Lot was living in Sodom. The kings of the land came and hauled off uh the inhabitants as well as Lot, and Abraham had to go all the way up to as far as Dan, the area of Dan, far north Israel, to rescue his uh, his his relative Lot. And um, Abraham had his own private army, basically, to do this with. He had so many servants, he was able to to pull off this kind of a rescue. And. We're also told the chapter prior to that, in chapter 13, remember when Abraham and Lot separated and Lot chose all the, the area, the valley of the, of the Jordan, which was a green valley and it was lush and beautiful. And then the text told us there, this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So we know the destruction is coming even as far back as chapter 13. But now here in chapter 18, God says it's about to happen. Shall I hide that from Abraham? So we get a couple of principles from our text today, and we'll do this sort of a a unique way. We'll look at the text, and then we'll talk about the principle. And then we're going to look at an example from the life of Jesus that supports each one of these principles. But here's the first principle that we see here from this text, and it's really pretty simple that God wants us to respond by prayer when He reveals a need. God wants us to respond by prayer when He reveals a need. Did God know that Abraham would pray? Absolutely, He did. Look at uh, verse 22, and let's read this together. It says, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So, Abraham is appealing to God based on his character. I love the interaction here because God revealed to Abraham based on their relationship. Abraham appealed to God based on God's character. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? You're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet you know Lot lives there. You know Lot is a righteous man. You're not going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked, are you? Surely the, the judge of all the earth is going to do right. So Abraham is, a, is appealing to God and asking for the Lord to, uh, to do rightly. And so that principle that I shared before, let me just repeat it. God wants us to respond by prayer when he reveals a need. God revealed the need. And notice again that question in verse 17, when the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And the answer is no. I'm going to reveal to Abraham. Why would God reveal to Abraham what he's about to do? Because God wants us to respond by prayer when he reveals a need. God knew that Abraham was going to pray. That's why God revealed what he did. God didn't have to say anything about Sodom. He simply could have judged the wicked city. He simply could have uh, taken Lot, you know, say, hey, Lot chose to live there. Lot's going to get it just like everybody else. But God cares for people. And when God revealed a need, he knew that Abraham would pray for that need and then that God could answer that prayer. God wants to do good in our lives and in the world. And here's the convicting thing. Um, He reveals a need. God's revealed a need about our country. He's revealed a need about our neighbors, about those within our family. And when he reveals those things, he's doing it because he wants us to pray. He is moving in our hearts to appeal to God so that God can respond and, and, and answer that prayer. Now, keep your finger here in Genesis and turn to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And let's look at an example from the life of Christ that shows this same principle. You know, it it is challenging. It, It is frankly challenging to look around at the compromise of our country, and not only that, but at the 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 legalization of sin. You know, abortion's been around for decades. And uh, gay marriage has been around only for years. But it's amazing how our country and our culture continues to slide down in its laws, not just in what it permits and tolerates. Uh, our country has permitted, you know, immorality in some sense since day one, but it's never legalized it to the degree that it's doing now. And uh, more and more we're seeing this true. Uh, Mark chapter 9, look down in verse 25. And in the context, you may remember this uh, from Mark 9. In the context, remember Jesus had just, Jesus and his disciples just come back from a short mission trip. 
Jesus had given his disciples authority over demons, and yet for some reason in this particular instance, the disciples weren't able to drive out this demon. And so uh, the father, the boy's father, uh, who had the demon, the, the boy had the demon, and his father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, please have mercy, please do. And the contrast seems to be your disciples couldn't do anything, and if you can, would you do it? And then there's that wonderful exchange where the father says, uh, I do believe, help my unbelief. But look at verse 25 at Jesus' response to this wonderful plea. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? He said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Jesus had called his disciples unbelieving, the unbelieving generation earlier. And it didn't mean that they weren't believers in Jesus. It meant that their particular, uh, their faith was at such a level that they didn't really perceive their need for God was total. They hadn't prayed in this particular instance. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer, meaning you guys didn't pray about this. You had your system I, I gave you authority over demons. You had your system, and you had your your uh, your way of doing things. Your success had worked in the past, and you just assumed that you could take care of it. But in this instance, you needed God. Uh, they did it in their own strength, and as a result, they could not do it. They tried to do God's work apart from God's strength. You know, it's true of ministry and it's true of life, that we can't do it without the power of God. The feeding of the 5,000 showed this. The feeding of the 4,000 showed this. The miracle, all the miracles that surround this particular teaching incident showed this. And Jesus was teaching them that you can't do this by yourselves. You know, it's one thing to do the work of God with uh, excellence, but if there's not prayer, it is, um, how does Paul say, you know, without, without love, it's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You can do all the wonderful things in the world, but if there's not love, if there's not a dependence on God, and if there's not prayer involved, it's really sort of pointless from an eternal perspective. Uh, I don't know if you feel a this way sometimes when you're in meetings and even in Christian contexts. Like if I'm in a church service and we've gone for, you know, 10 minutes and we've not talked about God, <laughs> or if, uh, you know, if, if we welcome everyone to, to the church and the Lord is somehow overlooked or not mentioned, I don't know. I just, I just sort of feel funny about that. I feel like God needs to be the first thing we say. Because he's why we're here. Here's why we're here on uh, our Zoom class. He's why we take the time in the teaching portion of our class each week 
to to open the word and to connect with one another and uh, to connect with God because it's about him. And sometimes in these instances, like with this demon that couldn't be cast out, uh, the Lord's going to put us in situations where we realize we got to pray. There, there is, there is no situation like this. Um, there's no way out of a situation like this without prayer. And so we need to have a context that is spiritual. You know, sometimes, like uh, when I've been in various leadership contexts, even in Christian leadership over the years past, sometimes I'll find that we've been in a meeting and we've been talking about all kinds of problems and potential solutions. And then I'll just say, you know what, why don't we just stop and pray about this? And sometimes the looks on people's faces are like, you know, let's just keep working. we got stuff to do. But boy, we've got to really push hard against that. We've got our systems. We've got our way of doing things. But Jesus set this situation up to where the disciples said, the system isn't going to work this time. You need to pray. You need to depend on God. Not long ago, Kathy and I were driving down the road, and uh, it's just the two of us there in the car. And she said these wonderful words. She said, Thanks so much for providing for us. And when she said that, I thought, well, that was really nice for her to say. I was about to say, you're welcome. When she said, and God, I pray such and so, she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to God. She was thanking God for providing. And I don't know what can I say, but amen to that. But uh, one thing I love about my wife is she, she brings God in the room. I mean, we'll be driving along in the car, we'll be sitting at the table, whatever it is, and all of a sudden God's sitting there with us because Kathy is praying. And uh, it really is sort of funny sometimes because I think she's talking to me, and she's not. She's talking to God. Um, So, anyway. But uh, it's a great mindset to have that uh, when, when Paul wrote to pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean that you never stop praying. It means that like a niggling or a nagging cough that just won't go away, prayer comes out. It's something that's just a regular part of our life all throughout the day. Let me ask you a hard question. And it's hard because, I know it's hard because I struggle with this question as well. So I'm not just pointing to you. I'm pointing to me when I ask this question. But I'll, ask, I'll phrase it as if I'm asking you. What is your knee-jerk reaction when you see a flaw and somebody else? Seriously, don't get spiritual, but really answer. What's your knee-jerk reaction? Remember the last time you saw a flaw in somebody? How did you respond? If it's our family, we tend to just tell them, you know, just right away, hey, here's a problem. When it's a total stranger on the, on the street, we're probably a little less, you know, uh, a little more reluctant to walk over there and say, hey, here's your problem to a total stranger. Though there's probably times we've done it, and we definitely do it when we're driving, don't we? But uh, here's something that we need to remember. Uh, It was the principle that the text showed us earlier. God wants us to respond by prayer when he reveals a need. God doesn't just show us the flaws of other people so that we can feel better about ourselves or because he wants us to spout the wisdom that he has blessed us with so that we can correct them. 
God shows us other people's flaws so we can pray for them. And then when we do, God answers that prayer in His time. This is hard. You see somebody driving down the road that is clearly reckless or clearly rude. We don't know what's going on in their life. They could be just a jerk, but they also could really be having some issues and they're not focused. Um, Same with the stranger that you see in the supermarket and same with the person that's uh, sitting beside you right now, if there is someone or someone else in your immediate family. Um, When we see flaws, the first thing that God wants us to do is to respond by prayer. God gives us insight into people's lives, not so that we can criticize them or judge them or just feel better about ourselves like a Pharisee. He gives us insight into the flaws of others to pray for them. And sometimes he also gives us insight into the flaws of others so that we can look at ourselves. Remember what Jesus said when he said, Judge not, lest ye be judged, for in the manner in which you judge, you'll be judged. And then he goes on to say, You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the splinter out of the, of the other person's eye. So sometimes God shows us those splinters in the lives of others to give us a clearer look at the log that's in our own eye. So I, I know that's pretty convicting. So let's move on. Well, turn back to Genesis chapter 18, where we left off. And again, on what basis did Abraham ask God not to destroy the righteous with the wicked? It was the justice of God, the character of God. Abraham said to the Lord, um, the judge of all the earth is going to do rightly. I know you will. A person who play, who prays believes in the goodness of God. And it says who, and it mentions the righteous. Who's, who are the righteous in this context? Well, it's Lot and his family. These are the righteous. Um, look at verse, so let's see, we're in Genesis 18. Look at verse 26. Abraham gets very specific now in his prayers. So, so the Lord says, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I venture to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abram, Abraham returned to his place. It's kind of an interesting exchange, isn't it? Again, once again, God is allowing himself, you might say, to be bartered down, to be, uh, to be talked down to ten people. You got a whole wicked city, and God finally says, you know what, if there's only ten people in the city... For the sake of those righteous ten, I will spare 
the city. Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe one of the reasons that God has not yet allowed the United States of America to go under is because of the righteous that dwell between its shores? It's very possible. And if you want a good prayer for the United States of America, pray Abraham's prayer. Please don't destroy the righteous. Don't destroy the wicked and the righteous together, but be merciful. It's very possible this is one of the reasons that God stays his hand, as well as the amazing missionary movement that we have, as well as the ally that we are to Israel. And probably, no no doubt, God, many other uh, sovereign reasons in God's grand plan. But America is blessed because of the Christians who live here. Um, You think about this uh, throughout the scriptures, and you see it's true as well. Later in Genesis, we see where Laban prospered because of Jacob, even Jacob. Uh, We see in Egypt prospering because of Joseph. Uh, Later, still in the prophet Jeremiah, we're told that uh, God told Jeremiah that if one righteous person is found in Judah, they would not be sent off to exile. God told Jeremiah, go throughout the city. If you can find one person who, who, who loves me, then I won't that I won't send them off. Wow, that was, that was tough. And then in Babylon, of course, Daniel uh, is, uh, the, the area is blessed because Daniel is there. So, and then even further on, Paul, uh, when Paul is on the ship, the ship is rescued because Paul's on the ship. United States of America, thank goodness, has believers, and believers are doing a great work for the Lord. And you know, the whole, one of the whole reasons, not just to enjoy life, as Ecclesiastes says, to enjoy the meaningless life that we have here, one of the reasons that God has allowed us to remain is because the gospel is being proclaimed in the context of even wickedness, that the Lord is able to use uh, us in this context to be able to share the gospel uh, so it's not just a matter of us, uh, you know, enjoying life and and hoping that our country gets good again, so that we'll we'll have a great uh, a great life. But our prayer, as Paul, you know, as Paul said, remember Paul told Timothy. He wrote to Timothy in Ephesus, and he said this. Just listen to these words from First Timothy chapter two. Paul said, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings. Be made on behalf of all men. Did you hear that last word? Thanksgivings. Be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority. And here's why. In order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. A couple of great things in that uh, that text. One reason that a nation may be preserved is for the sake of those who will repent, that God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we are praying uh, for our government, according to this, um, this text, with thanksgiving that our prayers are made that we may live a godly life, which includes sharing the gospel. So we're praying for our government and for our culture and our country and our world 
to have a context that allows us to do what God wants us to do, and that is to share the gospel, because God doesn't want anyone to not hear the good news and to potentially be saved. Remember several chapters ago, we saw that the sin of Sodom led it to being captured and taken away and Lot with it, and it was through God's uh, Abraham's love for Lot that God rescued them from, uh, from the evil. But now, it's been about 13 years. Remember back in that, uh, in that context when Abraham told the king of Sodom, I'm not going to take anything from you lest you say that you've made me rich. I'm only going to trust in God. Well, he was talking to Melchizedek. Abraham was talking to Melchizedek, who was a priest of God Most High. The, the king of Sodom heard this. The king of Sodom heard about the true God. And he saw the power of the true God who delivered the king of Sodom, as well as all its inhabitants. And yet, here it is now, 13 years later, and Sodom is still wicked. They had not responded to, uh, to the example of Abraham and the words of Melchizedek. And so, they were to be judged. Uh, back in chapter 14, Abraham had taken his army to rescue Lot, but now... No army is going to save Sodom. And so Abraham comes before the only one who can make a difference, and that is God Almighty, El Shaddai. So uh, Abraham gets it down to ten righteous people. Now next time we will actually go through this uh, in the next chapter, the terrible destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the reasons that it occurred. But uh, interesting to find out that there weren't even 10. If you add up uh, Lot's family, there weren't even 10 righteous people that could save that city. Well, from this, uh, this example of Abraham praying very specifically, very persistently, uh, here's another principle that we can apply in our lives, and it's this. God wants us to pray persistently and specifically until he meets the need. God wants us to pray persistently and specifically until he meets the need. Our challenge is we usually don't do either. We won't pray very long, persistently, give it a couple of times, and if it doesn't work out, then we figure it's not God's sovereign will. And then specifically, we'll just kind of throw generalities at stuff as opposed to being very specific. Abraham was very specific. He didn't just say, hey, save the righteous. He said, what about 50? What about 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? Very specific prayers and which God honored. Now, turn to Luke chapter 18, and let's look at the second example from the life of Christ. This is actually a parable or a story that he told, but it fits in perfectly with this principle of praying persistently and specifically until God meets the need. I think our challenge so often is that uh, when God delays the answer to prayer, it's because we, we think, well, maybe uh, it's because God has the long view and we tend to have the short view. When we pray for things, we're hardly ever praying for long-term things. We almost always are praying for now for our immediate need, because that's really the only thing that we tend to perceive as a true need. My current pain I want removed 
God, please take it away. Or if it's uh, a particular need that we have in, in uh, the extended life of our family or, or, um, or the world around us. But how seldom do we pray long term? God, God cares for both, and God has both in mind. And sometimes, as we've found in our lives, sometimes the, the deep challenges that we're going through now, which is really all we want God to deal with, we come to find out we had those in the past as well. And God did take care of them in His time. But the residual effects of those challenges in the past were that now, long term, we're stronger. God's vision for answering our prayers is not just to take the pain away immediately, but to use it effectively that we may be uh, closer to Him and more effective for Him long term. Luke 18, look at the very first verse, and this is one of those wonderful incidents where we don't have to wonder why Jesus told this parable, because Luke tells us right up front. Verse 1, now he was telling them a parable to show at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You know, you ever wonder, what's this parable about? Well, there you go. That's it. That's what it's about. Ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then he gives the parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. That, uh, that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it, with some of our judges? There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of this, but thankfully, we don't have to wonder what Jesus meant by this. Luke tells us right up front, the point of the parable is that we ought always to pray, at all times to pray, and to not lose heart, and to not give up. Uh, I know people who have prayed for years, and because nothing changes, they lose heart and they give up. Or they begin to form their theology of prayer by their experience rather than by Scripture. Meaning, you know, they think, well, I've obviously prayed and it's made no difference, so prayer doesn't change things. Prayer, it just changes me. And the reality is, what about Genesis 18? God definitely changed his, uh, his view there or his, uh, his intent by Abraham very specifically, very persistently saying, 50, 45, 30, 20, 10. And God said yes. God responded to those specifics and to that persistence. So prayer, is, it's not an either-or. You know, Prayer not only changes the will of God, but it also changes us. It's both. It's not either-or. Again, the challenge, though, is we tend to see answered prayer so short-term that if it doesn't happen immediately, we figure, hey, it's either not the will of God or uh, prayer doesn't change things. It just changes me. 
Remember James, Jesus' brother, says, you do not have because you do not ask, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So sometimes one reason God says no is because, uh, you know, we're asking for, for wrong motives. Well, here's a trivia question for you. I love this, uh, this question. I would love it if uh, someone could tell me what the answer is. I, I, you know, I don't want to raise the blue hand because I don't want to embarrass you if you get it wrong. But I'll, uh, I'll just ask the question. What is the last word that Jesus says in the whole Bible? Not the last word of the Bible, the last word Jesus says in the whole Bible. You got an idea? It's the word quickly. In Revelation 22.20, remember Jesus says, Yes, I am coming quickly. To which John responds, Amen, come Lord Jesus. These are the last, some of the last words of the Bible. Revelation 22.20, the last word. And I even checked the Greek this morning to make sure that it was the true last word, and it is. The word quickly is the last word. Now, why is that significant? Well, because it is the same word. In fact, it's the same original Greek word that Jesus uses here when he tells this parable. When he says, I tell you the truth, there in verse, uh, what is that, verse 8, uh, that he will bring about justice for them quickly. It's the same word. And then notice, coincidentally, the very next verse or the very next phrase, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There is a connection between the quick coming of justice and the coming of Christ, which gives us an insight as to what Jesus means when he says quickly. He doesn't mean uh, immediately that when we pray, boom, we get immediately get a response. It's not that kind of quickly. It's the same kind of quickly he means in Revelation 22 when he says, when I come, it will be quick. And in this case, when God brings justice to us, it will be quick. It will be a quick, immediate response when it begins. And so we've got that to look forward to. And uh, we may even have to wait until Jesus comes for that justice. There is some justice uh, waiting for that time. But Jesus' bigger concern is not so much, is God going to bring justice when, he, when Christ comes? Christ's question here is, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? And this is in the context of prayer, remember. So Jesus is asking, look, our bigger concern here is your faithfulness to persistently pray, to not give up, to not lose heart, but to continue to pray and to trust me because I will bring justice. I will answer the prayer according to my will and according to your good. And, and I'll do it quickly when it's time. Um, so here's... Those two principles, once again, it's a good, uh, maybe a wrap-up, sum-up of uh, what this text, both in Genesis as well as the Gospels, have affirmed. And again, these two principles. The first is, God wants us to respond by prayer when He reveals a need. When God shows a need and you're very aware of it in the life of someone else, or even in your own life, in the life of our country, in the life of uh, our church, God's revealed the need for a reason, that we may pray. God asked Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He didn't hide it. He revealed it. Why? So that Abraham could pray about it. And then second, 
God wants us to pray persistently and specifically until He meets the need. He not only reveals the need, but now He wants us to pray persistently and specifically until He meets the need. As Jesus taught us that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's such a challenge, isn't it? But uh, thankfully, the, the, the Word and the Lord clearly speaks to it, and it relates to our lives. I mean, I don't have to know your specific situation right now to know that you are in a place where this kind only comes out by prayer. God has put you in a place right now in your life, in my life, where prayer's it. Prayer's our only hope. God is our only hope. I can't think my way around this. I don't have enough money for this. It's not even a money issue. It is something that I've got to trust God for. And if God doesn't show up, I'm sunk. He has put you in that place to depend on Him totally. And you know what? You can. You can depend on Him totally. But our response to that need is to pray persistently, specifically, until he meets the need. That's a tough assignment, but that's our assignment. Let's pray. Father, it's sort of strange to end a message on prayer by praying, and yet is the most natural thing that we can do. Because as we've seen throughout this text, Genesis reminds us, the Gospels affirm it, that you will put us in situations sometimes where we have to depend on you. As the author to the book of Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy in our time of need. So, Lord, we come before you and ask that the judge of all the earth would do right. We ask that you'd have mercy on our country for the sake of the righteous who are in it and for the sake of the righteous who will be. For those elect who have not yet placed their faith in Christ, would you be merciful and use these very unusual days to peel back the lies of the world and to reveal the gospel to those whose hearts desperately need to hear it and who will receive it. And Father, in our individual lives, would you be with us as well as you reveal needs to us, both within our walls and outside our walls, even in uh, uh, whether it's our home or our church or the world around us. You give us insight through the scriptures as to what's right and wrong. And as we see the wrong, let our first response to be, be for prayer rather than mere criticism or certainly Pharisaic hypocrisy. Give us instead a, a, a passion to pray and help us do it persistently. Help us do it specifically, knowing that you will bring about justice in your time and in your way in such a way to receive, you'll receive glory. Father, we love you and we trust you. Thank you for another boost of help to help us keep going and to help us not lose heart. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.